Welcome to the New Beginnings Community Church Podcast. Here at NBCC, we welcome the imperfect, flawed, and broken, as much as the healing and thriving, because we are all God's children. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Oh, so nice. Second service, you guys are so lively. I love it. Um, hey, just a couple things before we get into the message. Um, last week, Pastor Jim did talk about uh, how we're bringing in a guest speaker. His name is Joe Dallas in next Monday, and he's going to be talking about sexual I, uh, sexual identity. So that's the 22nd, so not this Monday, but next Monday. If you would like to go to that, go to that talk. It'll be Monday night, and you have to register for that. It's free, but you do have to register because we do have limited seating. So if you'd like to do that, make sure you go on the website and do that. And then um, so many of you last week uh, took advantage of our serve boards, which are right outside of these doors. You see a couple boards with, with ministry opportunities on there. So many of you did that. Thank you so much for doing that. That was awesome. We love it. We still have a lot more, a lot more positions to fill and things for you guys to be a part of and belong to. And so we'd love for you guys to do that. But I want to highlight just two of those things right now. That is going to be the ministry that happens right over here in this corner. Uh, here in this corner, after every service, there is a prayer team that meets here led by Dan and Vina Magana. They are an amazing group of people that pray for people when you have needs. You can go up to there and get prayed for. If you would like to be a part of that team, I strongly encourage you to sign up after this. It's an amazing ministry where you get to pray for people in their needs. And then we are also doing a new ministry that's going to happen in the same corner, being led by David Geith, and that's going to be a Next Steps Counselor. What that's going to be, and you're going to see uh, little cards there. It's a ministry that hasn't even launched yet, but it is a ministry that we're implementing for people to be able to walk with those who just got saved. We want Next Step counselors to be able to walk with them through those, through those first couple weeks, answer those questions, pray with them, all those kind of things. So if you feel that call, if you feel like, hey, I'd be good at that, and I, and I enjoyed that, especially those of you in here who, who maybe have been saved for a long time and you want to help others um, kind of walk in their faith as they're just beginning, you remember what that was like, I strongly encourage you to go sign up for that Next Steps counselor. It is an amazing ministry. It's going to have a super super impact here, not only in our church, but also in this city. And so either one of those, that'd be great. And, and listen, I am so excited because I love serving. I've gotten to serve since I was 12 years old. Over here um, in first service, you would have seen Noah Travers. Noah Travers is 12 years old, and we gave him like a $3,000 camera. It was awesome, okay? And we're not worried about that at all because Noah does such a good job, and he serves so faithfully. And I started serving when I was 12 years old, and I started for very selfish reasons. So I'm going to tell you those right now. When I was a youth uh, when I was a youth kid, my youth pastor said in front of like the whole, the whole like, you know, little youth congregation, he said, hey, if anybody wants to help get up really early on Sunday morning and help set up the youth room, I will buy you breakfast. And I heard free food. Let's do it, baby. All right. So I was like, hey, I'll go do that. That'd be awesome. Um, so I remember I woke up every Sunday morning and I would go sit outside my house at about 6, 630 in the morning. And I would wait for my youth pastor to come pick me up in his little, like, 1982 Toyota T-1000 and just kind of, like, roll. He would screech around. It was a stick shift. He'd be screeching around all the corners. That's how I knew he was coming because I could hear the wheels uh, in the distance. And, um, and he would pick me up, and he would take me, um, me and a couple other people that would serve on that Sunday morning. We would go to this restaurant called Caro's. You guys remember Caro's? All right, so Caro's is, if you don't know what Caro's is, it's kind of like a nicer Denny's. Um, and so we would go to Caro's. And at Caro's, is where I learned a very, very important thing in my life. It was that you did not have to order breakfast food at breakfast time. Did you know this? Did you know you can order at certain restaurants, definitely at Caro's, you could order anything on the menu and it did not matter what time it was. Did you know that this was possible? 
And I did not, because I was 12, and my mom said that breakfast food was for breakfast and dinner food was for dinner and lunch food was for lunch. I did not know that was optional, okay? So I get there and she says, what would you like? And everybody's ordering biscuits and gravy and pancakes, you know, all those great breakfast foods. And I looked and I said, man, I would really like a hamburger. And I think I just said it. And the waitress, this angel, she told me, <laughs> you can have a hamburger. And I said, can I have a double bacon cheeseburger? <laughs> and she said, yes. And so I ordered it. And I ordered it every single Sunday for months. Everybody else would get their breakfast suit. I would get a double bacon cheeseburger with onion rings at 6.30 in the morning, and it is glorious. And if you haven't done it yet, you need to try it, okay? And it was awesome. Let me tell you, when I got to be a part of those like little breakfast meetings and just hanging out, because I was the youngest guy on the crew, like there were some older high school kids, but then there was a lot of like just adults that were kind of helping out and I would get to hang with them and I learned from them and they, how they joked with each other and how they encouraged one another. And they was, they would say things and they probably didn't even know I was listening, but I was listening to guys like Marcos and Jeremy Boutrite and James and, and how they would interact and talk. And, and I just grew to like, just want to be like these guys because, because I was serving with them. I knew that they would serve with me. They didn't treat me like some little, little kid. They would, they would ask me to do things. They would show me how to do things. It was this great like some of the greatest moments of my life were being 12 to 13 14 15 and just kind of serving in these different areas because I got to hang out with these guys and there was this community that was built and I was furthering my walk with the Lord and just and just simply showing up and obeying what he had asked me to do which was just to wake up at 6 30 in the morning eat a double cheeseburger and then go set up the youth room but I was growing I was growing because I was listening I was growing because I was obeying I was growing because I was doing something and I want you to know this. We're doing this whole series called Living Sacrifice. And this series is not a series to try and get you to do stuff for us. I am not trying to recruit a bunch of doers so that you do the things that me and the other staff don't want to do. That is not the goal at all. The goal is not to get you just to do stuff in the church because, you know, you've sat there and we just need you to do something and we have things that need to be done and we need you to do them. That is not our goal at all. Our goal is not to recruit doers. It is to train disciples. And it is a truth that when you serve, that is part of your walk with the Lord as you are growing closer to the Lord. For those of you that have not served, I'm telling you that, that your walk with the Lord is, in, is probably not in the greatest or at least not in the best place it could be. Because you are holding it hostage and for different reasons that we'll talk about today. So we are not trying to recruit doers. We are trying to train disciples. We want this to be a part of your spiritual formation. Another thing I was thinking was, this isn't about program formation. This is about your spiritual formation. This isn't about, hey, we could do it better if you would just hop on. This is, hey, I know you could be better. I know your life could be better. I know your life will be blessed if you just obey what the scripture commands us and do this within community, okay? I want you to know that's my heart today, amen? All right, so there's, you know, now we're gonna be in Romans chapter 12, so go ahead, open your Bible, turn on your Bible, whatever you're gonna do, Romans chapter 12, we're gonna be in verse nine. Pastor Jim uh, talked about the first verses last week, talk, called it corrective lenses, talked about how we should view others, view ourselves, all that kind of stuff, talked about uh, our different gifts, all that kind of stuff, and today we're gonna be talking about Romans, 9, Romans 12, verses 9 through 13. Romans 12, verses 9 through 13. We're going to read it, and then I'm going to pray, all right? Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. 
Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligent, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. Father, God, as we study your word written by Paul to the church in Rome, applying it to us now, God, let it be alive in us. God, speak through me. Father, let our hearts be ready to receive God, so that we can live deeper, fruitful walks with you. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so that's gonna be all the text we're gonna go through today, and we're gonna take it kind of verse by verse with, with one of them, we'll do two verses you know, at one time, all right? So the first verse we're gonna look at is verse nine. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Now this love that is in here, so if you were reading this Bible in the actual, if you're reading this letter, more like, in the actual uh, text that it was written in, in, in the actual language it was written in, that word love would be a word called agape. How many of you have heard of agape before? All right. M many of you, right? Agape is the Greek word that Paul is using here for love. Now, now just like different other different languages, love, uh, certain loves are different words, all right? For English, we say love, and it can mean many different things. But in the Greek, this love is a very specific kind of love. So when, uh, when Paul writes this, he's not just talking about the feeling of love. He's talking about a very specific type of love called agape love. And this is what agape love is. Agape love is love from the father to the son, to his son, and the father to us, right? That is agape love. From, from God, the creator of everything, to us and, and his son. That is the description right there. And agape love is also the love that we have for the father. And because of that love, it also describes the love we have for the father and also the love I have for you because of that love, the love I have for you. And even because this love is so great, the love I can have for my enemies, all right? That is agape love. It is not romantic love. It is not physical love. It is this type of love, this spiritual, my love for the father, his love for me, my love for him and his love for me. And because that love is so great, then also my love for other people within that spiritual sense and my love even for my enemies, all right? That is the agape love. And that's a very, very important distinction I wanna make today. Because agape love is something so powerful and so pure, and you can kind of see it even within the Greek word, that this love is so great that his love for me actually causes me not only to love him back, but it actually propels me to love other people and even my enemies. That's how great this love is. Do you kind of comprehend that? Like this, this pure love, this source of love is so pure that it can actually help me not only love the Father, but love the people in my church and even love the people that I consider enemies. That's how great and pure this love is. Why? Because God is love. He is the source of love. So when I love him and I tap into that source of love, it not only helps me just love other people, it helps me love other people on a level that I didn't even know I could love other people. It helps me love other people so much that I could even love people that others would consider my enemy. That's how great and pure this source of love is. It kind of makes sense? I'll, I'll explain it like this. this. This might make a lot more sense to, to, to those of you that have kids or who have had kids. You teach your children that water is good for you, right? Like, you don't tell them that Diet Coke will, like, help you. Like, you don't do that, right? Like, that's, we teach our kids, water is good for you. Water is, you, you stay hydrated when you drink water, right? All right, you, you have to drink water. Your body is 70% of water. When you're thirsty, drink water. We don't say, are you thirsty? Here's a cactus cooler, even though those are amazing. We don't usually, 
as a parent, we just know we want our child to be healthy and well. We're going to give them some water. That's good for them. That's going to quench their thirst. It's pure. We, we, we know that, right? It's pure when we think of drinking water. But your kid, some of you know this, has heard that water is good for me. And there are times that they've been in a tub of that water. And they have been thirsty. And you have told them that water is good for them. And so they drink the water that is in the tub with them because that can only make sense, right? This water is good. I will now drink it. And what do you do as a parent? Please don't. That's nasty. You wipe it out of their hand. Don't. We don't drink that. Same thing. Some of your kids got in the toilet water, all right? We don't judge you. Life gets busy, okay? I'll tell you, I'll tell you my worst. This is my worst one. I tell my daughter that water is good for all the time. When, um, when Sarai, like a couple years ago, when Ellie was like just a little tiny baby, and, uh, and Sarai was probably like four, I want to say she was like right, had just turned four, um, we went to the Long Beach Aquarium. And we went, it was me, Amy, our girls, Ellie being a very small baby, Sarai being four, and my dad went. And, uh, and Amy asked me, she said, Charlie, do you want to change Ellie's diaper? And I said, no, I don't. <laughs> then she said, well, you have to watch Sarai then. And I said, I got that. I can do that. I can do that. And we went to the, me and Sarai and my dad, we all went to the exhibit where you can touch the fish. Do you know this exhibit? The touch the stingrays. They're swimming in there, right? All the little fish. And you can put your hands in there. You can touch it, right? So that's where we were. And I know where my daughter is. I have that daddy sense. Like I know she's like right here, okay? But I'm also talking to my dad about something. And then in my ears, I hear the words, ew, gross. And just like any normal human being, I turn around to see what they're talking about. Because I want to know what's ew and what's gross, right? I'm a curious person. Um, I hear ew, gross. I look at the person who said it. I then look at them to see where they're looking. I look at where their eyes go. I look, and it's looking right at my daughter. <laughs> and my daughter was parched. And so she started drinking the water from the aquarium. Just like, just, I mean, like gulps. I mean, I was like, wow, she was thirsty. I should have asked. Um, and now I have to make a decision at this point. Do I want to go and stop her and admit to all these people that ill and gross is my flesh and blood? Do I want to do that? Is that going to be something I do? Or am I just going to let this ride? <laughs> like, right? You're just like, I determined that it would probably be okay. I, you know, I need to be a good dad. So I went over there and said, oh, stop it, baby. And we ran away and we never went to the exhibit again. Um, but I, but right, that water isn't good. You say water is good. It looks like to a child that looks noble, right? This water is good. My dad told me that water is good for me. I can drink this water. Water is good for me, right? But I know as a parent that not all water is actually good. Like I know there are certain water that you shouldn't drink because it's gross, it's contaminated, whatever the case is. There's a bunch of fish and stingrays swimming in it. You don't drink that water, right? So I'm going to say this now. Now, remember, I'm, I'm attributing this agape love to the most purest well, right? This is the pure well, this agape love, this love that I have for the Father. When that is not your motivation to live your life, you are drinking from tainted water. Now, some of that is very easy to see. We know someone who's an addict that their motivation is just to get that next high, right? Some of you have come out of that or you've had family members come out of that and you know that that des destroys their body. 
But at that moment in time, we know that they have this wrong motivation of just like, I just need to get my next high. I've been with, with ex-addicts, and they would just talk about that. They say, that's all I thought about. I stole from my family. I stole from my friends. I lied. I cheated to steal. I was just trying to chase that next high. And we know that's destructive. That's pretty, that's pretty common in culture. All of us would agree to that, right? Even people that are motivated by just money, a lot of us would say, oh, man, like that's not good for you. You're ever going to find happiness or anything like that if you're just motivated by money. We know that. But there are some waters that even in church we have attributed as being okay it's all right that i'm motivated by that because they seem noble they seem good in fact we have we have scripture that says that we should do certain things but but the problem is that we've taken those things and we've moved them to be our ultimate motivation a lot of us for parents a lot of things that you'll struggle with is you will want your ultimate motivation to be your family the love that you have for your family and that you will make every decision you make of like, how is this going to better my family? And I'm telling you, and I, and I don't want you to take this out of context. I need you to listen to me. Because I'm not trying to say don't love your family. But this is what I'm saying. That when the family is the ultimate motivation for what you do, at some point, this love for your family is a conflict with this love you have for God and the obedience you should have for God. And what are you going to do when they begin to have friction and butt up against each other? Because you'll say, well, the love for my family wants me to put my family first. Everything I do is because I love my family. Every decision I make is because I want my kids to have a better life. It's because I want, I want them to be awesome. I want them to be, to be excellent. I want them to have everything they want. I want them, and, and you'll have all these reasons by my motivation being my family. You'll even say this, I'll go to church because I want my family to go to church. And I'm telling you this, that I want you to go to church because you love God. I need this to be the pure, because your family, as lovely as your family is, as perfect as your family is, as much as I love my girls, I will tell you this, when I put my family first, I actually short sell my family. Because now my family is my motivation. It's what, I'm drawing, it's what I'm drawing my will from. It's what I'm getting my purpose from. Everything is drawing out of that. And can I tell you this, and you know this, your family isn't perfect. And that is going to end up being an empty well at some point. But, can, and this is where I need you to hear me. But when you choose to make agape love your source, this is the secret sauce. When agape love is your source, your motivation, that everything I do in my life, whether it's serving, whether it's leading, whether it's being a father or mother, when this, when obedience to the father is my source, I actually love my family at a different level, at a higher level than if I were to put them first. Because when I'm putting them first, I'm just drawing from them and I'm trying to pour the little that I have of me back into them. But when I draw from the Father, from the source of love, it not only allows me to serve the Father, but then it takes my love that I have for my family and it raises it up into the supernatural love that I've gotten, that I've drawn from, I've taken from here, that God has poured out in me. And now, because of Scripture, I now elevate my family to an even, an even higher level of love. I am leading them even better than I would have if they were my sole motivation for everything I did. 
And that is so important for you to understand as we're even talking about this service because they do not want anything else to be your motivation when it comes to serving the church. I don't want you to be like, well, I really like Pastor Jim and I really like this church and they're really nice. And so because I love them, then I guess I'm gonna go sign up to be, you know, the 9 a.m. nursery worker, right? Like that's gonna be, or, or I don't even want you to be like, well, I really like little kids. Like you'll like little kids until they throw up on you, right? Like that's just, like there's limits, right? Because I want something back. It's this, it's this superficial, it, and, and Paul is saying, listen, this, needs, this love cannot be hypocritical. It has to be pure. And to be pure, it has to come from the purest source, from the one who created love. And you must draw from that. You must make that your full motivation. And I know that that for some of you, including myself, there's some friction there. Because it's like, but I want, I want the best for my family. And I'm telling you this, you want the best for your family? Follow the Lord with everything you got. And at some point when these two things conflict, follow this. And even though it won't make sense to you at the moment on, well, man, that, that's going to put my kids. No, 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 no. Follow this because this here, this agape love that you have is going to make the best decisions for your family. When you try to make them, you're going to make sometimes even the worst decisions for your family follow this be devoted to this agape love this love that you can tap into this love that's going to pour so pure into you that it won't even just fill you it'll fill your family it'll fill your friends it'll even have the ability to be in contact with your enemies that's how great this source is and paul is saying that paul is saying this agape love has got to be not hypocritical it has to abhor what is evil cling to what is good it has to be our sole motivation for what we do it cannot be because i feel bad or i feel guilty or anything like that it's got to be because i just love the father so much that i'll do whatever he asks and if he asks me to serve then i'll serve agape love so we know this we know now that love has got to be the motivation, right? Agape love is the motivation. Agape love is what starts us all. And from that love, there are going to be certain things that are asked of us, right? So I'm going to go through those three things that I feel that, that Paul is saying, hey, th once we get the source thing right, boom, now from that source, a couple things are going to have to fall in line. The first one that he's going to talk about is that love will call us to devotion. I'm going to read that verse really quick. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. That's verse 10. Does anybody's Bible say, say something like, love one another in brotherly love? Does anybody's Bible say that? All right, in the back, perfect. Okay, everybody else just didn't read. They just looked at the screen. Perfect. Okay, so, so from that, now the reason your Bible says love is because that word, that, that word devoted, is actually a Greek word called philostrogos. And if you don't know how it's spelled, I'm going to show you. Philostrogos, right there. It says being devoted, loving dearly, was also used towards parents to children, and even it would say from, from a husband to his wife. It is this devotion kind of love. It's not a romantic love or a physical love. It's a devotion kind of love. Like that I love my child so much, I am philostrogos to her. I'm devoted to her. There's nothing my girls could say to stop me from being devoted to them, okay? My love, my agape love is so great that he has called me to philostrogos to my kids. And then Paul is saying this, and you know that love you have for your children, that love you have for your wife and, and wives, you know this, you love your husband, you don't always like your husband, right? Amen? I don't want to say that because I'm, I'm a husband and I don't want to get us all in trouble. So, but I can say it for the wife, right? You can, you can love your husband. You don't always like your husband, right? Okay. Some, man, first service was like, yeah. I was like, okay, marriage counseling. So, um, <laughs> but we know that. Philostrogos, being devoted. And Paul is saying this. He goes, you need to be philostrogos to the people in your church. 
And he is saying this in a context where there are Jewish people there who have like lived their whole life. They've like memorized scripture. They've lived their whole life as like God's chosen people. And in that same church, there are these Romans there who like followed Egyptian mythology. Like they just got saved like two weeks ago. They were like, like just, just a few weeks ago, they were like sleeping with the, with the concubines and the, like they were doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And he brings them all together. And he goes, you need to be philostrogos to each other. He goes, you need to be devoted to one another as a parent is to their child, as a family member is to his other family member. You need to be devoted like that. And there is something that has happened in culture that has seeped into the church that has created almost like a punching bag to this idea of philostrogos and what Paul's talking about. And I'm going to call it idea idolatry. And it's the thought process that your ideas are so good that they are actually what you're more devoted to even more to this. That sometimes you try to use this to hold up your ideas, but you do not filter your ideas through this. And it's something that happens in culture where someone just says, well, this is how I view the world and this is how I think. And we have relative truth and someone's like, well, that's true for you, but not true for me. And we do all that kind of stuff. That same idea culture has seeped into the church where we have surrounded ourselves with people that think like we do so that we feel better about the way that we think. And some of you have ideas that honestly like when you look at them, they seem like good ideas. They're ideas that put money in your bank account. They're ideas that you feel keep your kid in, in the safest situation. They're ideas where you say, that's just how I want my family to grow up. This is how I want my country to look like. This is how I want my city to look like. They're ideas that you feel are really good ideas and you're so devoted to, to these ideas. You talk about these ideas. You stand with other people. You follow other people that have the same ideas as you and you keep pouring into these ideas and these ideas and you're so devoted to these ideas that when someone in church has a different idea than you, you start to move away from them. You start to break philostrogos because instead of having your idea be submitted to God you have now put your idea over God's idea because just because you have a good idea does not mean it's a God idea and we have been consumed with how we think and how we process things and how we see the world and you don't know what it is to live my life and I'm trying to tell you you're completely right I'm not trying to say that I see things the way you do I didn't grow up in the same way I didn't I didn't grow up in the same town nothing like that but this is what I know based on scripture that I need to be devoted to you and you need to be devoted to me even though we might have different ideas on how certain things should go. As long as they do not deviate from scripture, I will be philostrogos to you. I will not honor myself above you. I will honor you above me. And that's what Paul's calling us to. He's saying love, this agape love, is gonna call you to devotion. It's gonna call you to philostrogos. It's going to call you to love people even when they think differently than you. And you have got to submit your ideas, not that they're not good or that you feel they're not noble, but the idea of saying, God is my reign, God is my fortress, this scripture is my foundation. I will fill a strogos to this. I will fill a strogos to you because we believe in the same thing, that Jesus Christ died for our sins and that we're supposed to go out and make disciples. That's what I'm devoted to you. And yeah, we might have different ideas, but I'm good with it. Because I'll philostrogos you through all of that. And that's something that takes a beating in churches because we have lost that a little bit. We have bought into idea idolatry and I feel it's time for us to step back and say, you know what, I'm done. Whatever the scripture says, that's what I'm gonna do. Even 
if it creates friction with the ideas in my own head. Love will call me to devotion. Uh, there's a quote here by a book I'm reading by Eugene Peterson. It says this. This puts it pretty good. Every day I put, on, I put love on the line. There is nothing I am less good at than love. I am far better in competition than in love. I am far better at responding to my instincts and ambitions to get ahead and make my mark than I am at fighting, fighting, figuring out how to love another. I am schooled and trained in inquisitive skills in getting my own way, and yet I decide every day to set aside what I can do at best and attempt what I can do very clumsily, open myself up to the frustrations and failures of loving, daring to believe that failing in love is better than succeeding in pride. Love calls us to devotion. We're going to look at the next two verses 11 and 12, not lagging behind in diligent, fervent in prayer, fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. There is this idea that we have in our culture that we should not suffer, right? We are actually adverse to the idea of going through something. And love will not call you to run away from adversity. Love will not call you to run away from, from those tiring times. Love is actually going to call you to persevere through that time. Love calls us to perseverance. Some of you were so fervent and excited last week when you signed up. Even right now, you're like, oh, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to sign up for something. It's going to be so good. I'm going to be the best servant. I'm going to be servant of the year. They're all going to know who I am. The Lord, I'm going to get the biggest house in the heaven. Like whatever it is, right? That's how you are. You're going to sign up. You're all fervent. You're all great. And then it's going to come Monday. And you'll be like, you know what? She's a long week right now. I don't know. I don't know. They asked me to get up at 7 o'clock, 7 a.m. on a Sunday. Do you think I'm going to suffer? This is my one day off, right? Like that's what you're thinking, right? I don't know if I could suffer that much. You know, what's, you know what's so funny is I think that as Christians, we have felt like because Christ suffered on the cross that we shouldn't suffer at all. Like he saved us from suffering. He saved you from eternal suffering. But here on earth, there is suffering. But what he wants to tell you is this. You can suffer, but now you'll suffer with a purpose. When you get up in the morning, it's not going to be for nothing. It's going to be because God has called you. His agape love has propelled you to do something then now when you suffer in any part of your life, it's not going to be for nothing. It's going to be because of something. Christ's suffering didn't take away suffering. It just gave our suffering on earth a purpose. But we have become so adverse to going through anything that anytime things get, anytime things get difficult, we just want to quit. Oh, man, my time schedule. I just should quit. I just should step back. We say stuff. We, we make it sound like, I should need to step back from ministry. I just, we say all those really good things that we feel people will understand. And I'm telling you this, where is our perseverance? Where is, what, where is what Paul says earlier when he says, hey, you want to be mature? Persevere through some stuff. Because through perseverance will come that maturity. You want to know why sometimes you handle stuff like a 10, 11, and 12-year-old? It's because every time you came across something, you just skirted it away. No, I don't want to deal with that right now. We live in a culture sometimes of immaturity because we are adverse to the idea of persevering. And I'm telling you, love is going to say, when you're tired, get up. When you're broken, keep moving. When it feels like too much, keep going. Maybe call someone, but don't quit. Don't just give up. Persevere. Love will call you to perseverance. And this is a difficult world to persevere in, right? Doesn't, some of you who are Christians, don't you want to just bunker down and just be like, just wait it out? That's why I think a lot of people want the rapture to happen because they're just like, I just don't want to persevere, right? They're just like, just like let's get it over with. Let me show you what that same author that I just read, what he says about that. He says, we speak 
our words of praise in a world that is hellish. We sing our songs of victory in a world where things get messy. We live our joy among people who neither understand nor encourage us. But the content of our lives is God, not humanity. We are not scavenging in the dark alleys of the world, poking in its garbage cans for bare substances. We are traveling in the light toward God who is rich in mercy and strong to save. It is Christ, not culture, that defines our lives. We have too many times run away from the tribulations, not partaking in the suffering. And even when it begins to suffer, we just get real sad and we just get real, oh man, we are walking in the light. Christ is our definition, not culture. Can we persevere, Christians? And the last thing that love will call you to do and the last thing that Paul writes is super practical. It's just practical knowledge. He says, he says, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. He just gives two really quick, hey, this is what it looks like. These are some actions you can take because love will call you to action. If you think that you have agape love with the Father and you are doing nothing from the Father, I'll tell you this, I'm not really sure it's agape love. I think it's just, it makes me feel good love. And Christians, man, we are so, we are so ready to just be like, I want to hear it, but I don't know if I want to do it. I agree with you, but I don't know. Francis Chan uses this uh, uh, illustration. He says that he went, and this is just an illustration. It's not a real story. But he said, imagine like I went to my daughter and I told my daughter, hey, you need to clean your room. And a couple hours later, I came to see if the room was clean. And I asked, well, you didn't clean your room. And she says, oh, but dad, I thought about what you said. Clean my room. I thought about those words and how it spoke to me and how I felt after you said them. I just really felt good about that. And Fred, go, okay, well, just clean your room. Comes back a couple hours later. Hey, you, you didn't clean your room. I know, Dad, but what I did was I actually looked at the Greek and the Hebrew definitions <laughs> of clean your room. And I saw what they really meant. And I was like, wow, it was so powerful, Dad. It was so good. It was so amazing. I learned something. It was awesome. Francis said, okay, well, clean your room. Comes back just a couple hours later, room's still not clean. What are you doing? Dad, this is what I did. I actually got my friends together and we all joined together and we started thinking about cleaning our room and we started encouraging each other how it would be to clean our room. And we were like, man, wouldn't it be so cool if we all cleaned our room? Dad, we even had a prayer service about cleaning our room. God, Dad, we even worshiped in songs about cleaning our room. And Francis Chan was finally like, just clean your room. That's what God's telling some of you right now. Because you've gotten all the little things you've wanted and no action. No action. And then you wonder why your faith is stagnant. Because there's no action. William Barclay says this. He says, a home can never be happy when it's selfish. Christianity, Christianity is the religion of the open hand, the open heart, and the open door. We are moved by agape love to action, to do something. We are moved by that love to be devoted to one another beyond any of our ideas of what people, of what we think people should be doing. I am devoted to you because you are my brother and my sister in Christ. And I will love you and I will serve with you. And if you have different views than me, you know what? As long as they're not unbiblical, as long as it's not moving me away from salvation, we can have different ways that we view the world. 
I'll persevere through anything that happens because this love that I have for the Father and the love he has for me is so strong and I will move myself into action because of that great love. Now, if you're not a Christian in here, I was talking a lot to Christians and you might be thinking, wow, that is that is not the Christianity you heard of where, you know, I get saved and I feel really good about myself and then, you know, I can just sit back and do nothing. You're right, it's not. That's a Christianity that gets promoted outside where it's like, hey, if you get saved, everything becomes good and you never hurt again. I'm just here to tell you this, that God will call you to something, that God will bring you to something, but this agape love, I will tell you, 1,000% worth it to serve him because now everything I do has a purpose. I don't question things that happen in the world. I'm not worried. I don't get those kind of anxieties because I know where my faith stands. And that comes because I have devoted, my motivation isn't by what you think of me or you think of me or how much money I get. It's not even devoted on how my daughter feels about me right now. It's fully, fully, my motivation is fully coming from the agape love. And it's a love that you can have today, if you would want. So if you would like to do that, I'm going to ask this. Can everyone bow their head, close their eyes? And if today you would like to step in to your walk with faith by committing yourself and allowing God to be the Lord and the Savior of your life, with every head bowed, every eyes closed, what I want you to do I want you to open your eyes and look right at me. Just open your eyes, look right at me. Don't stop looking. I just want to pray with you. I'm not going to call you out. bow your head, close your eyes. I want everyone to repeat this prayer after me. Father, forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Father, help me hear what your Holy Spirit is saying. Move me, Father. God, as people have just committed their life to Christ, asked the forgiveness of their sins, made you the Lord and Savior of their life, God, I want them to feel right now that Holy Spirit drop on them right now. That, Father, they would feel that love, that unconditional agape love that only can come from the source of love. That, Father, that you would pour that out on them right now. God, I pray that they would begin to hear the encouraging word of the Spirit, that it would begin to counsel them, begin to move them and shake them. Father, we thank you so much that you're doing that in their lives right now. God, for those of us in here, God, move us into action. Help us persevere and let us be devoted to one another. In your name we pray, amen.
before I dismiss you, there'll be some prayer warriors right here. If you need prayer, go ahead and do that. If you would like to sign up to serve, there's some serve boards right out there. Again, we love you. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next week. If you need prayer or dedicated your life to Christ, please reach out to us on our social media, on Facebook and Instagram at NBCCNorco, or email us at hello at NBCC.com. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to share and subscribe to this podcast.